0: Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart.
1: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I have such a special treat for you today. One of my all-time favorite people on the planet, and I have him on every single time he writes a new book because his books are so powerful. I've got John David Mann back on the show with me today, so that's like a woohoo. <laughs> I'm just so <laughs> excited, John, to have you back on the show. I just love yeah. talking to you.
0: Yeah, back to you. I'm here.
1: Um, so you've got a new book out today that... David Bach and you wrote called The Latte Factor and why you don't have to be rich to live rich. And, you know, every book I read of yours hits me on on different emotional mental even physical levels at times like um, you know i'm a huge fan of the book the recipe that you wrote with chef charles carroll story of lost love and the ingredients of greatness one of my all-time top 10 books and of course the go-giver with you and bob berg that you know it's the book those two books everybody needs to read And now I want to say that The Latte Factor needs to be one of those books that every parent should give their child, even at a young age. Every adult should read. and But it's about money, which is not something that people are comfortable even conversing about. And so how did this book come about? Because I know this was sort of like the recipe where... You guys talked about putting a book together for years. This one, like, over a decade?
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah, it has a long, long and, and uh, circuitous route. <laughs> yeah, a long and tortured tale. <laughs>
1: and this is, like, well, your 30th book, right? Something like that? It,
0: it, it is. It's my, it, it's, uh, it seems to be my 30th book, and it's funny because I, it, it's, uh, its roots go back. It started out when I, I hadn't written any books. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's been quite an arc the, uh, the arc of history has bent toward this book, <laughs> to, to, uh, to bastardize a quote. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, it's, it's the topic of money is, is, is an interesting one. I, As you say, people don't like to talk about it. It's the, according to many, it's the number one cause of, of marital problems. But it's not the lack of money that is the cause, it's the lack of talking about it. Um, it's the lack of the two people being able to sit down and actually get on the same page about money. Because we, you know, it, it's such an uncomfortable topic. It's, it's kind of weird that it's so abstract and, and impersonal, but it's so personal. So, yeah, emotions run high when you talk about money. I met David Bach. Um, before I'd ever written The Go Giver with Bob, before I'd written anything, I was a magazine editor and, and uh, I interviewed David for a business magazine. And I thought eh, it's, it's, it's going to be, I thought it might be a you know, mildly interesting interview. It was going to be about money and savings and 401ks and these things that I neither knew about nor cared about. <laughs> right. And um, I got him on the phone, we talked for an hour, and it was fascinating. And I just, I loved the guy's energy and I loved the guy's message. I realized it was about way more than money. At the end of that interview, he said, words I'll never forget, he said, you know, my belief is that everybody was put on this planet for a unique purpose, to do something that nobody else can do, every one of us. And the tragedy of it is that most of us aren't doing that thing because we're too busy leasing and loaning our lives. And my mission, he said, is to help millions of people own their lives, financially own their lives, so they can do what they were put here to do. They can pursue their, their, their honest dreams. And um, I was very moved by that, very impressed. So
1: Was when, that after probably, he had written Automatic Millionaire or Smart Women yeah. Finish Rich? Or?
0: Yes, it was, yeah. Okay. It was. Uh, so, you know, David was already a... a uh, Uh, This is on the heels of his book, The Automatic Millionaire, which he premiered live on the Oprah show. Uh, He was like a superstar at this point and i was i was nobody (laughs) he was he was like elvis and i was like the janitor
1: (laughs) i doubt Um, that you're so self-deprecating my friend but okay we'll we'll let it slide for the moment
0: in in the pantheon of authors i i didn't i didn't even have an entry ticket so uh a couple years later bob and i wrote the go-giver and we went to all of our author friends, everybody we could, to look for endorsements for the book. And David wrote such a sweet and powerful endorsement for The Go-Giver, we ended up putting it on the cover. Um, It was the cover of the original edition. You won't find it there now. Um, He's been supplanted by Adam Grant, but it's still on the inside page of The Go-Giver. And I think that quote on the cover um, from David, whose, whose star was really high in the sky at that point, really was a huge boost for the go-giver. I think it was one of the elements that helped the go-giver, um, you know, start to gain some, some notice in the world back in, in 2008. And later that year, David came to me and said, you know, I've written these books. He'd written Smart Women Finish Rich and The Automatic Millionaire and Smart Couples Finish Rich and, and Start Late Finish Rich. And his books had sold millions of copies. And he said, but here's the thing. Millions of people have read my books, but there's tens of millions that haven't and never will, because they'll never pick up a, you know, a fat book on finance. I want to write a book like yours. I want to write a book like The Go-Giver, a book that, that teaches my basic principles, but in a story like that. Are you in? And I was like, let me check my calendar. <laughs> you know, I...
1: But yet it took so, so many years.
0: Yeah, so what happened was, uh, we said, yeah, let's do it. And we we, we negotiated a, a deal between us, and um, he, we set off in, in search. He talked to his publisher, and his publisher didn't want to do it. publisher said, nah, parables don't work, which is something you hear in publishing circles sometimes, which I just don't get, because that's just not true.
1: It's so not true.
0: <laughs> We've been uh, reading
1: well, parables that's... since the beginning of time.
0: Yes, exactly. The parables work in the New Testament? I think so. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the the, the one-minute manager who moved my cheese up, you know. Anyway, so what happened was the financial crisis. You know, the world's economies melted down at the end of 2008, and all of a sudden David had a whole lot of other work to do, other things to talk about. He had other books to write, and and, um, the, the publisher wasn't interested, and so the book lost its way. And I went on to write a whole bunch of other books, The go Books with Bob, a bunch of books with Brandon Webb, The Navy Seal. And oh, my oh.
1: other faves. Mastering Fear. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. By the, by the time, <laughs> such a geek fan, John.
0: <laughs> uh, I know. It's really, it's lovely. It's always nice being here. It's such a, like, a one-person fan club. That's great. <laughs> um, so the years went by, and we stayed in touch here and there. And then... There was this pivotal moment where David was uh, having dinner with, with Paolo Coelho, who was the author of The Alchemist.
1: Uh, brilliant book.
0: So The Alchemist has got to be on just about everybody's top ten favorites list. Right. It's such a beloved classic. And Paolo had written a book that was launching in the U.S., and David helped him promote it in the U.S. So they, had, they were having dinner together. And apparently that, that the dinner was followed by drinks, which went on well into the wee hours. <laughs> these two guys throwing them back at, at, at a table at some beautiful restaurant. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. And at one point, uh, uh, Paolo asked, was asking David what he's doing now. And David said, well, I've got this book and that book. But what I really want to do is I want to write this book like – I want to write a book like your books. I want to write a storybook. Uh, that has my principles, teaches them in a story, and Paolo looks at him and says, David, then you must do it. And you know how it is when you hear something that you heard a hundred times, but for some reason from that person at that moment in your life, suddenly it lands on you? Right. It was that moment. By the way, Zoe, the main character in the book, has a moment like that in the story. Um, And maybe we'll come back to that topic, because I really believe that the most powerful messages are the simplest messages, but, he, but it has to be the right time and place and right right messenger sometimes for us to for us to hear them
1: well it's it's interesting because I wanted to talk to you about that moment in in zoe's life the story for everybody out there listening. the story is a parable story about finance, right but it's really not about finance it's a story about how you can have. What you want in your life. It's just how you think about it. That good summation?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, p- there's a lot more to it, and I
1: want to go into that.
0: The intention of the book is to show you how to stop living paycheck to paycheck and start living your dreams. And the key point, the key word there is living your dreams. Not having a dream that's some pie in the sky, far off fantasy, like I'm going to, you know, uh, buy three Jags and go live in Maui the actual dream of why you're here, of living the things that give you joy, day-to-day basis, like today, not someday. So that's the purpose of the book. It's about living your life
1: but, the but way it's,
0: that you should.
1: But here's the thing that I took from it beyond that. It's not just about living your life. It's about having a plan and a yeah. goal and a direction, which there's this one photo that I've I've seen before, and I've heard the phrase before, but when I read it in the book in prep, it hit me again. You know this idea of this perfect boat, right, with all the everything all set to go, the fishing, all of that. and it's, it's stuck in the middle of the desert.
0: The story opens with Zoe, the, the, the hero of the story, a 28 year old woman living and in, in, in working in New York City. She lives in Brooklyn actually. And she's walking through the Oculus, this amazing structure right on the, the, um, on the site of 9-11, basically, a, you know, a block away. And it's this, this gorgeous, uh, beautiful building, which is this sort of the nexus of all the subway stops down there. And she's walking through this big white marble building like a f- cathedral, and she sees this gigantic ad on the side of this tunnel that has that picture you just described, this boat lying on the side in the middle of a desert, this weird image. It's almost like, if you remember that image in the Close Encounters of the Third Time. Right. How did, this, how did this boat get in the desert? And there's a caption underneath that says, if you don't know where you're going, you may not like where you end up. And that's the pain that we aim to touch in the, in the book. And that's the pain that all of us have experienced at some point. It's like, what am I doing with my life? Why, why is this life I have today not the life that it could be, that I dream of? And so, this, yeah, the book is about how to create a plan that actually takes you there, that puts you there.
1: And It does it very simply. Now, the first time I ever met you in person, and I'd read your books before, but I'd never met you in person until Bob's, uh, Bob Berg's big event, when he used to do live events yeah. down in South Florida, and you were on the stage. And I remember you talking about money in a way I'd never heard before, and it, you reference it, you and David reference it in the book on page uh, 72. It says, the idea is to set yourself up so your life won't revolve around the lack of money. And you introduced this concept to me of lack versus need and, and how those, those two words can sort of interchange. And it came from a time in your own life You know, everybody thinks of, at least I do, I think of John David now. Man now. It's like, oh, he doesn't worry about money. He's never had money issues. But I remember you sharing a story, which perhaps you'd be willing to share with us today to help my readers understand this, where you freaked out every time you had to write a check to pay a bill because you didn't know how you were going to pay the bill and how you shifted that.
0: Yeah, I used, to, I used to hate hate the, the business of bills, and I would actually put off paying bills, and it got me in trouble to the point where one night I was sitting uh, watching TV with my, my younger son, and there was a knock on the door about 11 p.m., and it was a very, very big guy named Chris who said, Sorry, dude, I need your keys. He was there to repossess my car, um, and he did, took the car, and uh, I, I was like five payments behind. I just didn't have the money. But, but the problem wasn't that I didn't have the money. The problem was that I was, I was avoiding my bills, to be quite honest. I hated it. I hated paying bills because it's like, no, I want to keep this money because I don't know what I'm going to get anymore. Right. And what, what shifted for me was I, I – and I don't even remember exactly what it was. I, I somehow came to the point where I found myself enjoying writing the checks. Just the idea that there was a, there was a bill outstanding – and I was writing a check to 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 erase the bill and to kind of like eliminate that from my life and even the score and, and make and you know make the world a brighter place and ever since then i just I, I, like I fell in love with writing checks and paying bills and so now I look forward to paying bills every month and it wasn't that I had more money because I really didn't um, and even in the you know people assume that if you're a writer you're rich, and let me tell you that is not the case because most books. Don't really make a lot of money, even popular books. Right. Um, if you're Stephen King or James Patterson, yeah, you don't have to worry about money. But you know, writers like like uh, Babberg and myself who have medium level success, uh, those books don't you know don't buy us mansions. So money has been has been an issue that I have had to deal with uh, throughout my life, um, in in waves of, of more and less.
1: But yet. You've built a plan like that's talked about in The Latte Factor that enables you to live richly no matter the money you have coming in.
0: You know what? Writing this book has kind of transformed our own financial life, Anna and me, my wife and myself, um, because I've, I've never been one who saves. I've never been one who puts money aside. I've never been one who, to be quite honest, deals very pragmatically or wisely with my money. I just haven't. It's not a thing that, I'm, that I've that i ever been good at um, or natural at. And one of the reasons I finally understood when I was writing this book with David was that you know we, we might save for a thing called retirement, which is meaningless to me. We might say... We might, for most people, the idea of retirement is some kind of vague abstraction. Um, it's like maybe the the fear of not wanting to be destitute when you're old, and that could be real, but still it's so far away. What the book does is it has you concretize what it is that you want in your life that you don't presently have, whether it's a year from now, five years from now, or 30 years from now, but especially one or five or ten years, like now in, in, the, in, the, near, in the near future. What is it you want that would give you joy that isn't currently in your life? Which if it were in your life, your life would be more fulfilled. And then, where in your spending life could you redirect money you're spending now on other stuff you don't really care about toward building a pot to buy that? And that's, that's sort of the whole, that's the essence of the plan. Since we've been working on that book, um, we've, my wife and I have started investing money that we used to spend on going out to eat a ton. Because we used to enjoy it. We love going out to eat together. We would go out and eat a lot. And we started staying home and cooking a whole lot more eating out a lot less and redirecting that money toward uh investments that we didn't even have two years ago
1: that's what i loved about this book david's books are always so encompassing you know the automatic millionaire smartman and finisher it's all of his books right and they're written pretty simply but yet They seem a little overwhelming sometimes, right? Maybe because I wasn't ready at the time when I read the book and stuff. But in The Latte Factor, it made it seem so simple. Like when you were writing, you know, and I don't know who wrote, you know, it's such a a symbiosis when you write books with somebody, right? And I think if somebody knows you, they know nuances of you in it. And and there's so much of David and his voice. and, And I hear your voice in here, too like the character's always she is in she wants to take a photography course. Yeah. And it's $600, but she can't even figure out how she can get $600 to pay for the course. And in the book you guys talk about this whole concept of well, okay, every latte she gets in the morning is 450, and if she took that 450 and Put that into a different account how quickly she could have her $600 saved for the course or her $14 salad if, even if she brown bagged a couple of days a week. Yeah. How, how those small things begin to add up because she's not thinking about, as you said, an end goal. It just seems yeah. like okay. I got to pay my bills. I'm always underwater. I need these things. But if we become conscious, that would, I think that's a big thing I took away from the book, the Latte Factor, is we need to become conscious, aware of money and how we're using it in our lives and what yeah. other dreams we may have for our life.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I got to jump. I got to jump in and quickly say, as you as you have this conversation, that when the subject of budgeting comes up. Oh, God. Zoe, Zoe is internally cringing. Me too. It's going to come up. Yeah, and so the subject of budget comes. She's like, oh, God, here it comes. And then Henry, the, the mentor in, the, in, this, in this scene, basically says, yeah, so we have to talk about budgeting. First thing you need to do with the budget is throw it in the trash. They're garbage. They're, they're, they're BS. They don't work. And she is floored. That he's saying that because she fully expected him to say, you really need to start being responsible and budgeting and watching what you spend. And,
1: and businesses need to have budgets and they, they need to have people that pay attention to all that stuff, but it, it doesn't always have to look like a budget in your personal life.
0: Individuals don't typically, I mean, there are people who work well with budgets, but they aren't most people and they aren't me.
1: Not me either.
0: <laughs> and so here's the thing the principle of a, of a budget in a person's life is is sort of is sort of uh, the word don't um, you can't spend more than x on that you can't spend more than x on y on that it's it's a it's a restrictive prescriptive kind of concept the concept here is almost the opposite of that it's like what do you want where do you want to direct your your, your flow where do you want to direct your your um, your resource what is it you want to buy it's not you know you can't spend you can't spend X Y Z on that, and so for example you talked about that that that, uh, that thing with Zoe and the photography. Zoe sees this photo that she yearns for. She'd love to have this gorgeous photograph on her wall at home, and she sees it in the shop. It's a photo of it's this gorgeous photo of this morning. Uh, uh, dockside scene on the island of Mykonos. Off Which, Greece. by
1: the way, the way you described it, I was inside that photo.
0: <laughs> that, was, that was my, I mean, I, I remember that was from my history. It was a piece of my life when I went to Greece with my with a school class and my mom. Anyway, uh, uh, she sees that and she wants that, but she knows she can't afford it. What Henry shows her is that she she can totally afford it. She just hasn't gone about the mechanism of affording it. And the, the beauty of it is that, is that what she wants is more than that photo. She wants something that's in that photo. She wants something that photo represents that photo in her eyes. This photo shows her a life that she doesn't have but that she wants, and it has to do with not just having the photo of that place but going to see that place, experiencing that place, being the person who takes the photos of that place. And the photo is 1200 bucks, and she can't afford it. And she and he works out the math for her and shows her that that one latte in her hand, if she made it at home, um, over the course of a year, would buy her the photo. And what people so often jump to, David has been doing this for decades now. Well, what people so often jump to is, oh, David's saying I can't buy latte at Starbucks. No, no, no. There's, the word don't isn't in here. It's not about the coffee. It's not about what you can't spend. It's not about budgeting. It's not about how you can't have luxuries and you can't spend money on things you like. It's the opposite of that. It's about how you should spend your money on the things that you love. But if you don't have a conscious way to do that, you're just gonna dribble money away in in, in places you don't really care about. You're gonna leak it out of your boat every day and so that your boat is empty at the end of every year. One of the, the things that really makes people sit up in this book is when he says, you know, most people believe that the solution to their financial problems would be if their income increased. But it's never that way. If your income increases, if your income doubles, typically you, typically you end up in the same place financially because your spending also doubles. Your debt also doubles. You run up twice as much credit card. Your habits double. Your habits go with you with the same income. So increasing your money income, even if you even if you win the lottery, how many lottery winners end up broke and destitute? Yeah, just you in a what? few
1: short years. And, and we're going to be going into the national news break. So I am here, everybody, with John David Mann, co-author with David Bach of The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Have to Be Rich to live rich and john this thought came to me just as we're about to go into the national news break you know when you were talking about spending money on the things that you really love and the dreams that you want to have i was like oh it's the marie Kondo of finance
0: <laughs> there you go i like that
1: you know you're gonna buy the latte and go oh does this totally give me joy just for the moment or for a longer time and and deciding where you spend your money based on those bigger thoughts yeah Instead of it being blind, being aware of it. And we'll be right back with more from the incomparable John David Mann talking about the latte factor. Welcome back everyone, we are here with John David Mann, well I am here with John David Hamm, which mean, Mann, which man, which means you are here because you're listening. Um, we're talking about his newest book which launches today with uh, David Bach, author of uh, Smart Women, Finish Rich, and Automatic Millionaire. The new book is called The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Have to Be Rich to Leave Rich, Live Rich. And John, I happened to just check on, on Amazon and it is number one hot new release.
0: Oh, far out. That's nice to know. And and today is <laughs> launch
1: day, so uh, it's just you know it's going to go. And it's a it's a book by you and and David Bach and David Bach's book. You know, I'm sure this is going to go New York Times bestseller. I, I don't see how yeah. it could not. I mean, between the two of you, you've got what twelve, fifteen New York Times bestsellers. <laughs>
0: Yeah, from your lips to, uh, I don't know, Jeff Bezos' ears. (laughs) That would be nice,
1: right? (laughs) That would be so cool. Washington, you know, USA Today bestseller, Washington, all of those. This book should be there because it needs to be on everybody's um, list. And just before the national news break, I I said that um, this book is the Marie Kondo of personal finance. (laughs) And it's so true. And during the break, we were talking about this whole concept of really talking about money and in the book you guys lay out this very simple for me way of thinking about it and it made me realize that since my mom passed away i've forgotten everything i knew about money i just wasn't paying attention uh you know it's like oh i need to eat okay well there's a restaurant over there let me go get something or i'd go buy groceries And I wouldn't shop sales or anything. I would just buy whatever and I'd overbuy. And then I would not, you know, in the grief, I I wasn't up to cooking it. So I ended up throwing the food out and then I'd be going, well, but I can't, I can't do these other things because it was very unconscious. And I understand grief is a very, it's not a good example to use, but I know people, I have clients that don't understand why they can't get ahead of wherever they're at Get out of the hole. Get out of whatever position they're in. And you lay out these concepts in this book that help people really begin to pare everything down without budgets just to say, how do we handle money? What is money? And, and how did that come about? The, the three final concepts that you came up with. Pay yourself first don't budget, make it automatic and, and live rich now. That doesn't mean spend a thousand dollars and live like you're a multimillionaire or like you're Jeff Bezos, right?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's, the concepts are great, but as you say, you got to have a plan, got to be a mechanism. And what a lot of us don't have is, is a really practical mechanism. And that's, so the book is very pragmatic. Those first two principles, pay yourself first and make it automatic. Um, this is the heart and soul of, of, of how the machinery works. The idea of pay yourself first is, is real simple. And it is that, you know, most of us, when we get income, the first thing we do is pay. Well, the first thing we do is, is if we're an employee, first thing we do is that the government takes money out. There's withholding. Okay. After that we get the net and we pay what we owe. We pay our mortgage or our rent. We pay for our car payment. We pay our utilities and our cable and whatever. So if there's something left over, cool, we have now, you know, money. Maybe we, we know we need X, Y, Z for food, so we, we kind of keep that in our account. And maybe we feel like, okay, there's like 100 bucks left over. I'm going to go buy a this or a that or what have you. But, it, it, you know, it, that's the principle of putting yourself last. So you pay everything. You pay everything from the government to your bills to your needs, and then what's left over is for you. What pay yourself first does is it turns that on its head and it says, no, when you get paid, let's say you get paid $1,000, the very first thing you peel off from that before anything else is money you're going to set aside for you. For you for what? Well, you know, it could be, you could just put it in a 401k or an SEP, some kind of account that's your savings. But the point is, it's for you for something. Um, it, it might not be one of those accounts. It might be, as in the book, Zoe creates a photography class account. So she's putting money every month into this account that's going to build to pay for the course she wants. Literally another bank Literally. account. That's right. Literally a separate account. Um, but the, the key, however you set it up, the key idea is the first thing you take out is money to fund what's important to you. It's not just to pay yourself or like a reward, like oh, give yourself an ice cream sundae because you've been a good boy. It's to fund what's important to you, to build a fund to be able to uh, to buy, whether it's the trip or it's the house or it's the car or it's the photograph or it's the support a certain hobby you have or whatever it might be. Is to fund the thing that matters to you. So, uh, you know, practically speaking, the beauty of a thing like 401K is the money comes out before it's taxed. It's pre-tax money. And there are different mecha- there are various mechanisms for doing that. And in this book, we don't get into the weeds about the different kinds of accounts, IRAs and ZEP IRAs and 401Ks and all that stuff. David's books do that. And that's the kind of detail that, as you were saying, could be a little bit – if you weren't – you know, you have to take that one by one and picture it carefully. This is the book, is the book
1: everyone details. should start with, of David's stuff, right. and then it's read the other ones. The, and, and he, but he had to write those other ones to get to this.
0: Refer to the other ones like reference books, like go to those to answer the questions that you have. But the, the principle is pay yourself first, but almost more importantly, make it automatic. Not Don't budget, make it automatic. What, what that means is, you know, you mentioned the book The Recipe, I wrote with Chef Charles. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> and in that book there's this principle that the that the, the gruff old chef teaches young Owen which is mise en place. And mise en place is like it's like the 10 commandments for a chef. It's like the bible for a chef. It's it's almost a religion for a chef. Mise en place means literally put in place. And practically what it means is the chef has his kitchen set up just so. He has his oil over here and his tool over there and his his spices and his herbs over here and his his dishes over here. He has everything set up exactly he or she has everything set up just the way they want it to be set up because that's how they'll know where everything is when they need it. Now you can apply that mise en place or in in the book the recipe he show he demonstrates by blindfolding himself and then cooking an omelet, a pretty sophisticated omelet, actually, um, for for the kid. He does it blindfolded. When I went and did a video with Chef Charles, I made him cook uh, an omelet blindfolded, and it was a lot of fun because he did pretty well. The point is, if you're a chef, you know that so well because you've set yourself up for success, and that's what mise en place is, is you arrange everything so you're setting yourself up for success, that's what I do as a writer. I set myself up for success with my schedule, my desk, my reference books, my, my, I have to, to make sure everything is, is empty and clear in my room, otherwise my, my brain feels cluttered. In our kitchen, you have to arrange it so you set yourself up for success. That's what this principle is in finance. Set yourself up for success, which means if you have to remember every month or every two weeks to, to take money out, put it aside and put it in that account, if it's up to you and your initiative, you won't do it. You'll do it. It's, it's like diving. It's like exercising. You'll do it for, you know, a few weeks, a few months, but it'll fall by the wayside because it's just human nature um, or, or it becomes a chore and you start to resent it. You start to dislike it. And you start to say, "Oh man, I know I should put this money into that account, but I really, I really want to go out tonight. And it's like, I really want to put the money here. And it's just the whole thing starts to fall apart. If you set it up so it happens automatically, so there are automatic deposits from this income, from this paycheck or whatever, to that savings account, then it happens without you doing anything. You just set it in motion and then the machinery plays out. And oh my gosh, three years later, look how much money's in there. Because you didn't have to do it. So that's that's the, the sort of the key mechanism at the heart of everything David's ever taught is pay yourself first and make it automatic. Don't make it rely on your own discipline and your willpower. Um, And then the third principle is live rich now. It's like, don't just do all this for some, some theoretical retirement 40 years from now or 20 years from now. Live rich now, decide what's important to you now. Decide what's meaningful to you now if you, want to tr- if you want to travel to see places you've never seen. If you want to, you know, fund a certain kind of uh, hobby, well, maybe photography, maybe it's fencing, maybe it's something else. Um, whatever it might be, find some way to put those things that are meaningful in your life. Put those into your life right now, not 40 years from now.
1: In, uh, at the back of the book... And in throughout the book. I, I love how you guys wove visuals into the concept you were just talking about, the, the three principles. And it's really hard to refute the facts of the power of the latte factor, right? When you literally have charts and graphs and worksheets and you you look at it so like there's one of them uh, tote, tote your own coffee every morning instead of buying it and see what you can potentially receive right? $5 average cost of a latte and a muffin times 7 days a week is $35 a week $35 per week with a hypothetical growth rate of 10% in a year is one thousand eight eighty five, and 40 years is $948,000 $948,611 and when you look at it that way it's like Oh, well, even if I cut out two lattes a week, (laughs) what would that number look like to get me to the trip to Mykonos, or the car I want, or my own home, or that I could stop working sooner, or or something like that, Or, or do more philanthropy, whatever it may be, what I, I'd love to understand, John, because you, you do this so brilliantly, right? And, and David does this so brilliantly. How do you make it seem so simple? Because you really did. I wasn't afraid of this book. And yeah. my own stuff came up a lot because I wasn't living the way I used to financially live.
0: Well, you know, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a uh, quick answer from me is uh, I write books about things I don't know anything about. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, when I wrote my first book with Brandon. The, it was his, his memoir, The Red Circle, story of a, of a, of a Navy SEAL sniper. Book. I know absolutely nothing, or at least when I started writing the book, I knew absolutely nothing about the military, let alone Navy SEALs, let alone Navy SEAL snipers, totally foreign universe to me. Which was an adva- I think was an advantage because I had to i mean i didn 't know any military jargon i didn 't know anything about, about ballistics or about the calibers of weapons or i didn 't know anything of this stuff, so for me to be able to write it, I had to understand it at least you know well enough to know where I was, and I think that helps me make things understandable for for readers because I had to explain it to myself and it's the same with, with, uh, with, with money and with cooking for Chef Charles. I mean, I know something about cooking, but still, I'm not a chef. David is absolutely a money expert. He has been all his life. His father was. He's, it's, like it's in his blood, but not me. So, you know, I, it, this book had to be simple enough that I could get it. <laughs> but I want to say something else about the <clears> – <throat> you mentioned that, that, you know, the compound interest – of that simple cup of coffee or that simple whatever it is. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a cup of coffee. It could be a pack of cigarettes. It could be, uh, you know, a, a dessert. It could be going out for drinks every Friday night. It could be whatever it is that is a small expenditure that you really, you know, you, you'd enjoy, but it, it's not a hill you want to die on kind right. of thing. If you compound that over years, yes, it, builds into, into, it can build into an enormous amount of, of money. I want to point out but the same thing happens the other way, and that is with 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 interest um, one of the biggest latte factors that people have isn't the coffee they buy or the clothes they buy or the drinks they buy or the cigarettes they buy or the extra meals out they buy it's the interest they pay on stuff they already bought and when I started actually looking into that, it, it freaked me out. And I'm talking about interest on in credit cards, interest on in car payments, interest on, on house payments, but especially on credit cards and revolving accounts. It could be revolving store accounts.
1: Yeah, the ones that people pay the minimum.
0: <clears throat> right. The ones that aren't based on a, on a uh, uh, I forget what the term is, but you know, like a house or a car or an actual physical thing that you bought over time. Okay, that's one thing. I'm talking about the revolving accounts of just stuff you buy, credit cards, store accounts, as you say. The accounts that people tend to, to, to pay the minimum on um, and the interest rates on those are, are just uh, just astonishing how much people pay in interest rates. I sat down myself at, while writing this book and put on a single piece of paper uh, all of the, uh, the various revolving accounts that we have, the balances – the, the, uh, APRs, the, the, uh, you know, the annualized interest rates and the actual amount, what the minimum is and how much we, we pay every month and kind of organize it all in terms of, of which had the highest interest rates and where was money bleeding out the most. And it was just, it was just such a revelation. Um, I discovered that I thought I was paying down a debt that was important to pay down. But meanwhile, this other much smaller debt was actually costing me a lot more in interest. Uh, so anyway, yeah, just a, a, that's a short peon to the to the beauty of the latte factor. Is it works both in the in the positive and in, in the negative. And well, just becoming aware of it is uh, is a huge huge leg up.
1: That's an important concept because I'm working with a client right now to help them go to a different level of of their life and a different career path that they want to go. And it's taken them weeks to just sit down and the the husband and wife to figure out. Okay, here's here's our Debts, here's everything we spend our money on. You know, it's like I'm not talking about budgets. I'm just like, where are you spending your money? Right. And I was well, 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 looking
0: wait. at. I'm going to interrupt you there just to yeah. say something really quick here, which is that what you just said is so important. There's two things here. There's budgets, which, as you know, you and I both think are poison. Oh, God, they're horrible. David David agrees with us, by the way. So, OK, there's. Yay! Budgets. <laughs> And then there's just being aware of where you're spending your money. Two totally different things. So one of the things that the the latte factor does in the course of the story, story, it has Zoe sit down and actually tot up what she spends every day on on stuff, on an average workday. And And it shocked me how much. Yeah. And there's a chart in the back of the book to do that. Okay, I want everyone to understand, that's not a budget. We're not talking about keeping track of your money every day. And becoming like the police force on your money. This is not about becoming the, the money police, and about becoming Big Brother on yourself and watching every penny. It's not about that at all. It's simply the whole point of, of, of doing this exercise of totting up the expenses, the latte, calculating your latte factor, and looking at what you actually spend. Every, the point of that is simply become aware. Simply, right. be, simply to become aware of what you're actually doing, what your financial behavior actually is so that you can redesign it however you want to redesign it. But it's, it's not to keep track of every penny and ride her in yourself. That's, that just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and the latte factor gives you the tools to figure out where you're spending your money and then plan for some ways to do things to take you to where you want to go. You have the double latte factor challenge, you've got mm. charts and graphs, and, and I love that because it's not just... Giving the, the first part, which is awareness, you actually, in very simple ways, show people some different things that they can do.
0: And, and the key thing here is that there's a, there's a movement in the story that that we want everyone to experience, a movement from hopelessness to hope. I mean, Zoe starts out with the sense of, I could never do that. And in fact, her journey in the book is to is to move out of this place of That could work for other people, but not for me. Other people can get rich, but not me. Other people can do what they want to do, but not me. It's that feeling of hopelessness that so many of us have. And what I want to say is it doesn't matter if your income isn't enough. It doesn't matter if you're in debt. It doesn't matter if you're not 28, but you're 58, you're 48. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm over 60 and it's like, it doesn't matter what age you are or what financial condition you're in. These principles can still work. And by the way, it's not too late. It, it, it's still possible to shift the financial wheels in your life and how they grind and how they roll to create a better and better life where you have, you have the opportunity to do the things you've always wanted to do. Um, it, it and, I think there are three myths of money in the book that that they talk about that Henry and Zoe um, actually it not Henry. It's it's Zoe's boss, Barbara, who tells her these myths.
1: I love that it was Barbara because that's my mom's name.
0: Ah, Well, you know, it's like it's funny because Zoe is is hearing all this stuff from this older guy, Henry, who is the mentor in a sense. But honestly, she doesn't quite believe it. It's like she's hearing it all. She's taking it all down. But it feels like none of it's quite real. She's, just like, she's still in that place of, oh, that might work for other people, but not right. for me. It isn't until she starts to get with her boss, this woman that she can relate to better, that it starts to really get under her skin. And, and then finally, you know, it's, it's really somebody who's very close to her, who I won't reveal in this conversation because I don't want to give away the fun stuff. Um, someone close to her who really brings it home and where she finally starts to realize, oh, my God. I, I could do this. That could be me that we're talking about. Um, and the number one principle, the number one myth that her boss tells her is making more income will not make you richer. Making more income typically will not improve your financial situation. That's insanity. That's a mind-blowing thing. Most people are like, wait a second. That makes no sense. Making more income will not improve my financial situation? Nope typically it won't because when you make more income you still bring the same habits with you it's changing the daily habits the weekly the monthly habits that's what will make you richer that's what will change your financial situation
1: and that's the the work that the latte factor gives to anybody is that foundational principles to to do that and to shift that and I want to thank you guys for writing this book, for David approaching you so many years ago, and mm-hmm. you guys sticking to it, and to Paolo Coelho for saying, go write the book.
0: Yay, Paolo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really wish I had been a fly in the room. Actually, I wish I had been sitting at the table with them, having a cocktail yeah, and a meal totally. with the two of them, and, and you at the other side of the table. That would have That's like a dream kind of thing. Yeah. So how do people get this book, um, John, and, and get more information? I know there's a whole bunch of stuff available. It, it launches today.
0: Well, it's out today. Um, I've got to tell you, I'm so happy with this book. It has such a gorgeous cover. They just it's beautiful. Our publishers, man, our publishers just outdid themselves. It's gorgeous. Um, and uh, by the way, so David had to go find a whole new publisher because his publisher wouldn't do it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's out. It's everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookshops. Um, it's certainly up on my website it's up. There's a, there is a website called thelattefactor.com where you can not only go see the book read an excerpt, order the book but also um, see a whole bunch of extras that uh, David has put up there, it's a pretty fun website so that's worth going to, thelattefactor.com but um, yeah you can buy it anywhere
1: Okay, and uh, how do people reach out to you John?
0: my website is where I put everything it's, my website is simply my name John David Mann, M A N N, two Ns. dot com.
1: And everybody, he hasn't written a blog post in a while because he's writing like four books at the same time. But go read his old blog posts because they will just take you to a whole nother level of life. Just reading any blog post that that John writes. And this is your thirtieth book, so congratulations. That that is a huge achievement. And we're not talking books that sit in basements. Your books are read around the world by so many people. The, the Go Giver, I just was somebody on Facebook who I know. She said, I just picked up this book for the first time and it's amazing. And it was a Go Giver. And the book's been out for how long? A decade. A decade, a decade.
0: now. Just, just came out in Greek.
1: I'm oh so my happy. gosh, that's, uh, and that's perfect with the Latte Factory. We were talking about Mykonos.
0: <laughs> I know, it's so cool. My mom would, would be so happy. It's, uh, it, I think it's like 26 languages, 28 something. Yeah,
1: it's beautiful. So I want to just thank you for getting into my heart, getting into my brain with all the books you've written and, and the words that you've shared with us. It's, it's truly, I feel honored to know you.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you. I want to thank you for championing all these books so loyally, so faithfully, and so vociferously, and for asking such great questions, because as you know, it is all about the questions.
1: Thank you, my friends, so much. And I'm looking forward to the next one, because I think you're writing a novel with... uh... Oh, yeah one of my other favorite co-authors of yours. But uh, we have to end the show today. Thank you so much. And everybody, go out and buy The Latte Factor, why you don't have to be rich to live rich and change your life, you know, just one thought at a time. It's really amazing and simple. And remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? And especially today, what are you asking yourself about money? Have a great day, everyone.
0: been listening to it's all about the questions starring laura stewart connect with laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today